0: The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. So, just about a little less than a year ago, the evening of Thursday, September 1st, I was driving home on the 101 North Freeway. For those of you a little familiar with the exits, I was approaching Valley Circle. It was about 7.40 p.m., I noticed that the traffic was bottling up ahead, which is a normal occurrence on the 101. Looking back, that was the last thing I'm able to recall about that block of time, until sometime later when I heard the voice of a paramedic. Well, I found out later it was named John Tucker. And he's calling out to me from amidst this fog of but felt like a very intense dream. So whatever I've been able to piece together about what happened between these periods of time is based solely on in the information provided to me later by the paramedic, by other firefighters that were on the scene, by other eyewitnesses from the police report. But from my recollection, I remember a voice disturbing me. That's the way I looked at it. Of why is this person bothering me his written accounts were that five different occasions he tried to bring me out of my state of unconsciousness and although I became conscious conscious long enough to say my name that he was asking for I slipped right back in from my perspective this man was bothering me I was in a very deep sleep and I was very comfortable As I came to my complete stop in traffic, my car was struck from behind with tremendous impact. There was an SUV driving at full speed, didn't see the traffic jams starting ahead, and just continued at 65 miles per hour going into what was my car, a parked car in bumper-to-bumper traffic. The impact left my car, if you saw the pictures last night, looking more like a crushed sardine can than a car. It also caused my car to spin around a few times, and in the process, my car struck another vehicle. To this day, some of the ensuing details remain mystery, mystery to all involved. For example, how long was I in the car before being taken out? and who took me out? How did I ever get out of that car? Was I ejected from the vehicle, from the force of the impact? Did I, in a state of unconsciousness, find a way out of the car and collapse? Or did some stranger stop their car, take me out, and disappear from the scene, and never identify themselves as the one who took me out? John Tucker and his team found me on the freeway ground some 10 feet from my car. And to date, no one has yet to step forward to say, I was the one that took you out. Since I kept dipping in and out of consciousness, I don't recall much of the conversation with John Tucker on the freeway. I do know that at some point he asked me if there was someone he could call. According to his notes, he said that I responded that he can call my wife, Mati, and then he asked for her phone number. And here's the strange thing, because if you asked me her phone number right now, I would just know what button to push on the cell phone. But John Tucker got her phone number out of me somehow in that semi-conscious state. I vaguely recall being lifted, shifted. Moved about from one place to another. As I later learned, I was transported first by ambulance to the Lost Hill Police Station, which is about three miles away. And from there, a helicopter was waiting to take me to the UCLA Medical Center on account that that hospital has an elaborate trauma center. Now, I do have far more lucid recollections of the helicopter ride. I remember feeling very much at peace, very calm. Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually at peace. That I remember. No panic, no fear. Maybe I was in a state of shock. I don't know. But I just remember lying there and just saying, whatever it is, it'll be okay. There was a sense of serenity as to what was happening. I really didn't know what had happened. There was one the attendant in the helicopter had to keep very close to me so that he can hear if I was trying to speak. I did ask him, what am I doing here? He said, you were in an accident. I asked what day it was, where I was, where did this accident take place, if anyone was in the car, was it my fault? He answered each question, assured me that it was not my fault. I asked if the other party was injured as well. But I did not know the severity of the accident. I had no visual recollection of anything. I just remember this very calm, serenity feel, despite the noise. I remember speaking to God. I remember speaking to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and I remember speaking to my father. I'm not going to tell you that I heard answers, but I will tell you that I clearly remember having conversations, talking to them, all surprisingly calm. Well, once the helicopter landed on the roof of the UCLA emergency room, things started to get hazy again. I remember there being lots of activity, lots of chatter around me, lots of scans and x-rays, and then lots of doctors and nurses checking every part of me. I remember overhearing certain words being said above me as if I wasn't there, but they were just talking to each other. So I heard the words brain hemorrhage. I heard broken shoulder. I heard broken collarbone. And then I heard one doctor say the word, she said, deformity to the hip. I didn't like that word. So I asked from my state of unconsciousness, what deformity are we talking about? And they all laughed. And they said, that's just a word we use here. It means there's injuries to the hip. There were bruises to the face, bruises to the elbow, and bleeding from the head. Now, at some point in the middle of this foggy night, my wife and children started appearing. Now, understand, they were in worse condition than I was because I was in this total state of calm. But for them, it's a different story. My wife was working at the mikveh that night. Thursday night is her night that she takes care of the mikveh that we have. And her phone continues to ring and ring with a number she doesn't recognize. She's doing her job at the mikveh. But when she sees this person is not stopping to call, she realizes she needs to pick up. And it's Mr. John Tucker who says, I'm a paramedic. And your husband was involved in a car accident. And he's being airlifted to UCLA Medical Center. And you should get over there. So she calls for my two daughters, tells them what's going on and that she didn't want to drive herself. So they joined her. And they're heading now from Agoura Hills to the UCLA Medical Center. You take the 101 to get there, the 101 to the 405. It's now about 8 o'clock at night. There's usually, there's a lot of traffic on the 101, but at 8 o'clock at night, it should be easy sailing. But as they get to the city of Calabasas, it's backed up bumper-to-bumper traffic. You can't get through. It's just a parking lot. And they're trying to understand why at 8 o'clock at night, is there so much traffic, especially when they needed to get in a rush to the hospital. And it's only as they approach the valley circle exit that they see that there was an accident on the other side of the freeway, still not putting two and two together, because Monty never asked John Tucker where this accident took place. And as they pass the scene of the accident, I believe it was one of my daughters that take a look and say, could that be Abba's car? She has John Tucker's number in her phone, so she calls back John Tucker and says, what exit did this accident happen? And when he says the words Valley Circle, and they're at Valley Circle seeing all the sirens, all the flashing lights on the other side, that's when they realize this isn't good. So for that drive for them from the scene of the accident to the hospital was far worse than anything that I've been through. At some point, it began to set in that God had done something special here, that realization would become all the more profound and crystallized in the days and weeks and months to follow, as the full scope of what had occurred was revealed to me. Many of you saw the pictures of the vehicle last night, or perhaps you saw it online before. When my daughter Rachel went the next day to the tow yard, to the car to retrieve, to see if she could find my cell phone and any other belongings that were in the car, the foreman Said, and how are you related to the deceased? And she said that she is his daughter, but that her father is very much alive. He was shocked. He said, That's not possible. I've seen many cars come into this yard looking like that over my years. There are no survivors of an accident of that magnitude. And the same sentiment was echoed by John Tucker, by the other firefighters, by the police on the scene. They thought they were coming when they saw the car to pick up a body. So, as you can well imagine, I am humbled, I am overwhelmed, and I'm beyond thankful to God Almighty to be able to be standing before you doing my thing. As for my condition, I did suffer a brain bleed and a concussion that night. And thankfully, by morning, I was told that the bleeding of the brain had subsided. I suffered from terrible bouts of vertigo. Anyone here ever have vertigo? It's not pleasant. I have a cure for vertigo, and it does work. Don't laugh. Lay's potato chips. It's the only thing that works. I I kid you not. I had every therapist in the world coming into my room, turning my head this way, that way, every possible thing, nothing helped. For three days, I suffered from severe vertigo. Someone gave me this tip and said, try Lay's potato chips. I said, bring it on. I don't know, it's something that they put in the Lay's Potato Chips that does it, so. I suffered a fractured scapula, which has healed. My collarbone was broken in multiple places, and significant hip injuries, internal hip injuries. I underwent five hours of surgery to repair the hip and the collarbone, and which continue through physical therapy to go through the process of complete healing. So I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude, hakarasatov. Satov. An appreciation to all those—the firefighters, the paramedics, the helicopter crew, the doctors, the nurses, the surgeons, the doctors in my community that took over, the nurses in my community that took over, and so many throughout the world that were sending me their tfilis and their prayers and their best wishes—it meant so much to myself and to my family. How fortunate and how grateful we are for all the tremendous blessings that God shows us. What came to mind most strikingly in the days and weeks after is this powerful prayer. And again, this was right before Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time. We say the Unesana tokef. And you can't spell it out any more bluntly. On Rosh Hashanah it is inscribed, and on the fast day of Yom Kippur it is sealed. Who shall live and who shall die? Mi bekitzo, mi lo bekitzo. who shall live out his allotted time and who shall depart before his time. Now the cold, harsh reality is that there were many people who recited that prayer last year and they did so for the last time in their lives. They're no longer in this world. So what was I inscribed for the year before? What was sealed on the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur prayer? Was it something different than what actually occurred? Was there an 11th hour reprieve, this last minute reprieve? And if there was a reprieve, what brought it about? Who knows? But it sure gets you thinking. It gets you thinking about the uncertainty of life from one minute to the next. Because you never know from one day to the next. You just never know. I was thinking a lot about this whole subject during the days, the weeks and the months since the accident. I found myself struggling with what I found out is called survivor's guilt. Survivor's guilt is a particular guilt that develops in people who have survived a life-threatening situation. And Although I didn't know the clinical term for it initially, I certainly found myself backed by that sort of guilt. Knowing as I do many people who were involved in similar incidents who didn't come out alive, knowing parents who lost young children in fatal car accidents, I found myself desperately searching for answers. I made phone calls to other survivors of tragedies. I made phone calls to parents who lost children or loved ones in accidents. I spoke to many rabbis and mentors. And while I can't say that I found anyone definitively comforting or the the answer, at one point I was reminded that my dear father of blessed memory addressed this very question during a video interview we were able to get him to sit down and do back in the year 2008. And in that revealing interview, he recounted for the first time in his life many of the experiences of his youth and the story of his survival during the Holocaust much of which we heard then literally for the first time in our lives. And towards the end of this interview, he says in Yiddish that what he experienced was not just Nisim, but he called them Nisei Nisim, miracles upon miracles. It defied all logic and natural phenomena, which then led, he said, to a very sobering reflection on his part. And I guess you could call it his struggle with survivor's guilt. Being the only member of his large family to survive, he posed a rhetorical question, why did I survive? I know that until Moshiach comes, there's no way for mortal man to understand why they perished, but at least let me try to understand why I survived. Why did God foil the need to keep me in this world rather than send me along with my parents, brothers, and sisters to the other one? He went on to say that it can't be as a reward for anything I've done previously, because I was just a kid of 16, 17 years of age. Eventually, he said, I concluded that it was al Shame Ha'osid. It was for the future. God was investing in me because he foresaw what would come down the line. He foresaw my children and my grandchildren and felt that the world would need them to be part of this world for the decades to come after the Holocaust. It was because of the family that I would yet create, the souls that I would bring into this world, and the lives that they would yet touch. It was God's investment in me in the future. So that was the answer that my father made peace with. That was his take. Now, whether or not that was God's motivation, who's to say? But I've decided to apply at least that message, that perspective, in some way to my own situation. I was granted a reprieve. I'm living in what I call bonus time. Not so much due to any personal merits, but more so due to the merits of the work as an emissary, as a shliach of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, trying to inspire others to do good, to take on a mitzvah, to lead a more wholesome life, to study more, to share more, to care more. And perhaps all of those good deeds done by the community over the years created angels. And those angels were released on September 1st at the Valley Circle exit on the 101 freeway. And perhaps in addition, I was granted this reprieve, this bonus, Al Shaym Ha'asid, as God's investment for the future. In other words, I got a lot of more work to do here in this world. It's been an inspiring 40 years since I went out west. Thousands upon thousands of lives have been touched and positively impacted forever, not because of me but because of the mission, because of the outreach work, because of the supporters, because of the congregants, because of the students, and because of my colleagues, the Shluchim and the Shluchos, I've had the privilege to work together with. But from this point on, I'm heading into bonus time. My takeaway from this experience is not that it's time for me to slow down, but quite the opposite. It has to be full speed ahead. No pun intended, I wasn't the one driving fast. As much as has been accomplished over the past four decades, there's more to be done. And God is clearly expecting bigger and better things. You know, it's an amazing gift that God gives us, this ability to transform material and physical resources into goodness and spirituality, to enable the legacies of our very transient and fragile lives to live on for all eternity. Because Yisker Elokim, Because God remembers. And God doesn't remain in debt. One way or another, one day or another, he pays us back. I've always known this to be true, but now I know with even greater clarity and certainty than ever before. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend.